Welcome back to Heroes of the Faith, a show where we are inspired by the lives of the saints so that we can become saints ourselves. I'm your host, Isaac Longworth, and I've got a question for you. Are you one of those people who likes watching scary movies, who likes watching horror movies? Now, I don't know if you are. Uh, I personally am not. Uh, I don't really understand people who do, to be perfectly honest, because I don't like the feeling of being scared. But I have a lot of friends, and maybe you're one of the people who do love to watch scary movies. And our saint today, who we're going to be talking about, she went through some experiences in her life that honestly make some horror movies look tame in comparison. Except the main difference is, is that with her, it actually happened. It's not a movie. This really happened in her life. And the saint that we're going to be talking about today is named Mariam Theresia Chiramel Mankidian. Now, don't get me to say that name twice. I probably have mispronounced it in some way, but she's this truly amazing saint who was fascinating to research, fascinating to learn about, and I hope you find her as inspiring as I have. Now, she was born in 1876 in Kerala, India. She was the third of five children in her family, and uh, Theresia's family was Eastern Catholic. They were members of the Syro-Malabar Church, which are Indian Catholics who are descendants of the very first Christians who were evangelized when the Apostle Thomas went to India. Now, the Syro-Malabar Church, it's fully Catholic, but it's not Roman Catholic. So I am a Roman Catholic. I'm studying to become a priest with the Roman Catholic Church. And uh, that means that as a priest, I will one day, God willing, be celebrating Mass according to the Roman Rite. But for Syro-Malabar Catholics, they celebrate a bit of a different liturgy than we do, but they still believe all that Roman Catholics believe. They are part of the one true church. They're under the authority of the Pope. They are totally legitimate, totally real Catholics. And so this was the church that our Saint Theresia was raised in. Now, she had a bit of a difficult childhood growing up. Her family had originally been wealthy, but because her grandfather had sold a lot of the family property, it had decimated the inheritance for her father. And so as a result, Theresia's father turned to alcohol. He became an alcoholic, and unfortunately, several of her brothers also followed in their dad's example. They also became alcoholics. Uh, if you maybe come from a family of alcoholics, you'll know that sometimes alcoholism or other addictions, they work in a family pattern and they can lead to a dysfunctional home. It has a big impact on the kids who live in it. And so this was Theresia's situation growing up, living in a house with several alcoholics in her family. Theresia's mother, however, was very devout in her faith. And so she would read saint stories to little Theresia when she was growing up. And one of her favorite saints was Saint Catherine of Siena. Now, if you've been tracking with this show, you'll know that we did an episode on Saint Catherine of Siena. So you can go back and catch up if you don't know too much about her. But Saint Catherine of Siena lived as a hermit inside of her own house in order to spend a lot more time with Jesus. She consecrated herself to God as a virgin when she was very young, and she performed a lot of extreme fasting and penance. And so Theresia wanted to imitate this great saint. She wanted to be like St. Catherine. And so she wanted to go off and live by herself, uh, spend all of her time with God, but her family wasn't too keen on this idea and they wouldn't let her go. And so she tried to make her own home into a place where she could focus on God. So even from the time when she was a very little 
kid, a little child, Theresia would pray intensely. She would pray many rosaries. She would spend uh, long hours at night praying. She would fast four times a week. In fact, she actually grew thin and her mother uh, began to worry about her and told her not to fast as much. And when she was only 10 years old, Theresia promised Jesus that she would remain a virgin for him forever, that she would belong to no man but him. And so she was a very prayerful child, even though it wasn't easy to live out her faith in the home that she was in. Her family members were often fighting with each other. As I mentioned, um, there was a lot of alcoholism in the house, and so their arguments were often fueled by that. There was a lot of strain and pressure in the house. And this pressure eventually became too much for Thracia's mother, who became very sick, deathly ill, and was eventually confined to bed. And she got worse and worse until finally her children were called into her bedside where she prayed for them one last time before she died. And so at the age of only 12 years old, Theresia felt like she was all alone. Her holy mother had been the one family member who she could really connect with in her faith. And so she eventually had to leave school and uh, Theresia decided that She wanted to discern religious life. She wanted to discern becoming a nun, becoming her sister. Now her family, who wasn't keen on her becoming a hermit, they also weren't particularly interested in her becoming a nun either. And so they didn't allow her to do that. At one point, she even tried to run away from her family, planned to run away, live in the woods, live all by herself, and spend her time praying. That was the desire of her heart. She desperately wanted peace And her house was too chaotic to spend a lot of time in prayer and solitude with God. But in prayer, God told her that even though it was attractive for her to run away, that that was not his will for her. And so she decided to talk with a priest, ask his advice, and he told her to give up this plan to run away and instead to stay at home, not give up on her family members, but keep loving them where they were at. And so as a teenager, she was staying at home, she was loving her family members, and she was also helping out at the local church, at the local parish. She went out of her way to also serve the poorest and sickest members of the community. She had a very charitable heart uh, born out of her life of prayer. And her life of intense prayer and penance continued. And so while she was still a teenager, as she was entering more and more deeply into this life of prayer, she began to have mystical supernatural experiences of God. While she was still a teenager, she had visions of Jesus and Mary and Joseph who appeared to her and spoke with her. At one point, Jesus actually appeared to her and said mass for her when she wasn't able to get to mass and he gave her his own body in the Eucharist. We as Catholics believe that at mass, the bread and the wine actually become Jesus's body and blood, soul and divinity. And so Jesus said mass for her, gave her his own body in the Eucharist. Uh, Mary once appeared to her and told her that she wanted her to take on the new name of Miriam in her honor. Miriam is how uh, Mary was pronounced in that place. And so she was known as Miriam from that day onwards. She left her name behind and took on the name that Mary had given her. She also received something called the stigmata, which we've talked about on this show before. Uh, Basically, the stigmata are when someone is allowed to experience the very wounds that Jesus suffered 
during his torture and death on the cross. So sometimes saints will have uh, the nail wounds appear in their hands or in their feet. They'll have wounds appear in their side. And so the stigmata was given to Maryam as a way for her to enter into Jesus's suffering even more, to suffer with him. And uh, she didn't go around showing people how holy she was. She tried to hide the wounds that she suffered because she didn't want people to think that she was holy. She was actually embarrassed of the fact that she had this stigmata. She also had this incredible phenomenon called levitation, which means that sometimes while she was praying, she would be so intense in her prayer that she would actually float into the air. Now, this seems wild, this seems crazy, but there are many witnesses who saw it, who testified of it. And sometimes Jesus allows people to do this in order to boost the faith of those who see it. When they see someone levitating, they realize, wow, God really is real. He really is acting in this person's life. And Miriam, she found this also very embarrassing. She didn't like the attention when she was floating in the air. And uh, she was embarrassed that people saw her doing that, thinking that she was a saint. She just wanted to remain hidden with God. And so altogether with these and many other mystical experiences that Miriam was having, she found that these visions, these experiences were, were a little bit confusing for her. She didn't understand what they were all about. And They honestly scared her as well. She knew that Jesus was doing things with her in prayer, but she didn't really know why or even exactly what was happening to her. And so she was a very humble girl. And rather than figuring it all out herself, rather than getting books and trying to figure out what was happening, she found a wise priest who became her trusted spiritual advisor. And he helped her to navigate all of these strange phenomena that she was experiencing, helping her to focus on the most important things, staying close to God through it all, not being distracted by all these experiences in prayer, but letting them lead her closer to God. Her spiritual director also helped her to figure out where God was calling her to live, where he was calling her to spend her life. Miriam throughout this time had continued to help the poor and the sick uh, and several women had been inspired by her example. And these women gradually began to join her as she cared for the poor. And they were so inspired by her that they wanted to live and work alongside her in her mission. They wanted to join her, be with her, be her sisters. And so together, this group asked the bishop, the local bishop, for permission to live together in a house and serve God as a community. But initially, the bishop didn't allow it. Instead, what he did is he recommended that Maryam join a local community of nuns. And so she did. She discerned joining a Franciscan group of nuns close by. She actually joined and lived with the Carmelites for a year before deciding that God wasn't actually calling her to be a nun with either of these groups. And so she went back to the bishop. She asked again for permission. And eventually she was given permission to start her own house where she and the women who had joined her could live, where they could pray, where they could minister to the poor together as sisters. And they were called the Congregation of the Holy Family. Uh, Miriam had a great devotion to the Holy Family, to Jesus and his parents, Mary and Joseph, especially since she was able to see them and talk with them in visions. And so that was the name of their congregation. And she was their very first superior or their leader of the convent. But through all of this, There was even stranger 
spiritual phenomenon that Maryam began to experience in her life. Even stranger things were beginning to happen. While she was still a teenager, Maryam had encounters with demonic spirits. And these demonic spirits had attacked and harassed her in truly extraordinary ways. Now, before I talk about this next section about what happened to her during this period in her life where she was being attacked by demons, I think it's important to give you a little bit of a background on what demons are and what they do so that we can really understand just what Miriam was going through. Because when I tell you about some of these experiences with evil that she had, like I was saying at the beginning, it could seem like it comes right out of a horror movie and we need to understand what is going on so that we're not confused. So what are demons? Well, first of all, demons are real. Some people don't believe in demons. They think they're just uh, superstition, but they are real beings and they are angels who had been created by God to serve him and love him, but they had refused to serve God. And thus they had been kicked out of heaven and they had been punished with eternal imprisonment in a place called hell, a place of, of despair and hopelessness that exists for those who ultimately reject God, both humans and angels. And so the angels that went into hell are called demons. Now, demons, because they are angels, uh, they are spiritual. They don't have a body. They are extremely intelligent. They're very powerful. They're much superior in both of these aspects to humans. They're much smarter than us. They're much stronger than us. And the highest demon, their leader, is Satan. Satan is also real. And sometimes uh, our world today doesn't like to think about that, doesn't like to acknowledge that Satan is real. Sometimes we have this image of this little red cartoon character with a pointy beard and a trident. Uh, but Satan is real. He's not a cartoon character. He's a true being, a powerful fallen angel who led the rebellion against God, led all of the demons into hell and has been opposing God ever since. So that's what demons are, but, but what do they do? Well, demons, their main way of fighting against God, their main way of rebelling against God is by trying to lead human beings away from God. They want to attack those whom God loves most. They want to attack us, human beings. And so demons will try and tempt people to sin. And you've probably experienced this in your life. I know I have. Uh, demons will lie about the consequences of sin, try to convince you that it's really not that bad, that you can just give in. They suggest evil things to your imagination. And the more that people say yes to this kind of temptation, the more they enter into sin, the more they surrender to that sin, the more dark and evil the person becomes. They surrender uh, more and more control of themselves to the demons who are tempting them. And eventually some people become so lost in sin, so lost in darkness that they actually surrender control of their body to the demons. And when someone does that, when they surrender their body to a demon, they become what we call possessed. Now, maybe you've heard of demonic possession being possessed by a demon. And this is when a demon actually lives inside the body of a person and at times is able to control the person's movement. This is a real thing. This is something that the Catholic Church has always believed in. And it's a sad and it's a terrifying reality. 
Now, demons also attack people that are serving God, that are on the right path. And they do this through a bunch of different means. They attack them emotionally through discouragement or fears. Sometimes they are even able to attack people physically through sickness or uh, accidents or causing them some kind of physical harm. Now, in all of this, uh, I want you to remember that demons are not even close to being as powerful as God. So it's very important to remember that God is infinitely more powerful than even the strongest demon. Demons are terrified of God. They have been defeated by him. And so they only have as much power as he allows them to have. It's kind of like uh, if you put a, a watchdog on a chain attached to a tree and the mailman comes up the road and the dog is barking and trying to get at the mailman. But if the dog is on the chain. He can only go so far. God is the chain that holds demons back. They're only allowed to use their power as much as he allows them to do so. He's always in complete control. With all of this in mind, I know we got into a bit of a trail there about demons, but it's important to know all of this in order to understand what happened in the life of Maryam. Because the attacks that the demons used on her were truly extraordinary and they might even be terrifying or scary for you to hear. So I give you fair warning that it's kind of some disturbing stuff that happened to her because the demons would physically attack her. They would actually beat and scratch her. They would throw stones at her and they would actually leave physical cuts and bruises on her body. Even though they were spiritual beings, they were physically attacking and beating her. She would sometimes feel uh, excruciating pain inside her body from unknown sources while she was being attacked by these evil spirits. At times, Maryam would be paralyzed. She would be unable to move. The demons would sometimes lift her up in the air and then throw her down to the ground again. At one point, they even attacked her eyes and she was temporarily blinded. But as terrible as all the physical attacks on Maryam were, the spiritual attacks that she suffered from these demons were far worse. While she was trying to pray, the demons would scream these horrible insults about God, or they would knock the rosary out of her hand while she was trying to pray. They would tempt her with these disgusting and impure images that she just couldn't get out of her head. They would show her impure images that she could see with her eyes even when she had them closed. And when she refused to cave into their temptations in all of these ways, they then tried to convince her that because she had so many temptations, because she was always under attack, that that meant that God had abandoned her and that she should just give up and despair. And so poor Maryam was constantly, for a, for a period of about three years, attacked by demons in so many different ways. And these attacks that she suffered were so intense and they were so visceral that when the bishop heard about her case, heard what was happening to her, he ordered that an exorcism be done on her. Exorcisms are this special prayer that the church has to deliver people from the attacks of evil spirits, to uh, defend them and to release them and to free them from demonic possession. And so this was done for Maryam. She went through several exorcisms and because she was going through exorcisms, that caused many people, many Catholics to think that she was possessed, 
and that she was secretly an evil and sinful woman, that she was somehow this plaything, this tool of the devil. And yet through all of these attacks, throughout all these humiliations, as people thought she was evil and crazy, Miriam stayed faithful to Jesus. She continued to be obedient to the directions of her priest. She never stopped praying and she never stopped trusting that God was somehow in control through all of this. Despite her fear, despite her confusion, she trusted that God would rescue her. And eventually, she was right. In the end, she had the victory over these demons because God came to her rescue. Throughout her time of trials, which again lasted about three years, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph would appear to her. They would encourage her. They would defend her. They would assure her that even though the demons were whispering all these lies to her, that she was abandoned by God, that her situation was hopeless, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph came to her and told her, that her soul still belonged to God, that she was still one of his children. God was allowing her to suffer all of these attacks from evil spirits in order to keep her humble. No doubt when she was experiencing all these visions and mystical experiences during prayer, the stigmata and levitations and ecstasy, she must have been tempted to pride, thinking she was somehow holier than other people. But God allowed her to suffer these demonic attacks in order to keep her humble, in order to remind her of how weak she was and how much she depended on God, her Savior. God was also permitting her to suffer on behalf of sinners, people who were truly in the control of demons. And so through Miriam's sacrificial suffering, the grace of freedom and repentance could be given to them. So these were some of the ways that God was using Miriam despite these difficult times. And Miriam offered up all of these sacrifices, lived her life totally for God in obedience to him, while still continuing to lead her new growing community of sisters, while taking care of the congregation of the Holy Family and taking care of all the poor and the sick and the orphaned that her sisters were ministering to. Now, when Miriam was 50 years old. She hurt her leg when a falling object struck her. It struck her on the leg, it wounded her, and she had been struggling for a while with the disease of diabetes. And so diabetes uh, exacerbated the wound that she had. It didn't allow it to heal properly, and it worsened and grew deadly. And so eventually, Miriam was taken to the hospital where despite the terrible pain that she was in, she remained calm, She remained filled with joy because she knew that she was finally going to be going home to the God who she had loved so much, who she had been obedient to, who she had depended on throughout her life of suffering. And her condition got worse and worse until eventually she died. She died saying the names of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, the ones who had defended her throughout her life, who she had seen visions of. Finally, she was able to go to heaven and spend eternity with them in joy and bliss forever. Now, Miriam was a woman who endured an extraordinary amount of suffering in her life, right? Her childhood was marked by family patterns of addiction. She was living in a very dysfunctional and broken family. There was demonic attacks that resulted in physical and emotional pain for her. And she had an extremely difficult death, a very painful death. But through all of it, 
she never lost sight of who she belonged to. Her family struggles didn't define her. The attacks and the lies of the demons who hated her didn't define her. She knew that she belonged to Jesus. Her identity was rooted in him. No matter what happened, she knew that she was his. Now, in hearing about this incredible woman, St. Miriam, I want you to be inspired to follow God more closely and belong even more totally to him, to give yourself over to him. And here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to become obsessed with demons. I don't want you to go home and, and start looking up all this stuff about demons and getting really involved in it because that gives them more attention than they deserve. And honestly, it's not healthy to think about demons too much. We want to focus on things that are good. We know that demons are real. We should be aware of them so that we can resist them and so that we can fight them with God's power. We shouldn't get too interested in them. And another thing I don't want you to walk away from this show with is I don't want you to be crippled by being afraid of demons, by thinking they're around every corner or thinking that they have a secret power over you, that they're going to destroy your life. I want you to know this. God loves you. God loves you. He is infinitely powerful. He is far more powerful than any demon. All of them put together can't even come close to defeating Jesus. And he loves you. And he wants to watch out for you. He wants to protect you. He wants to care for you. And so the best way to stay clear of demonic activity in your life, the best way to stay away from these evil forces is to stay close to Jesus. Avoid sin. Avoid the temptations and the lies that the demons whisper to you. And if you do fall into sin, as all of us as humans do, quickly turn back to God. Repent. Leave your sin behind. Turn to Jesus. As Catholics, we use the sacrament of confession, which frees us from sin. It breaks demonic holds over our lives. Stay close to Jesus and you have nothing to worry about. In Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 8, God tells his people, be not afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. So be not afraid of any enemy because God is there to deliver you just as he was there to deliver Miriam. Amen. All right. Well, let's say a quick prayer here to St. Miriam that we can become saints like she was. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. St. Miriam, you knew what it was like to grow up in a dysfunctional family, a family that had a lot of stress, a lot of addictions, a lot of dysfunction. Help us to realize that no matter what our family background is, whether it was messed up, whether it was uh, filled with addiction, whether it came from divorce or brokenness, whether there was abuse in our family, know that no matter what our situation was, that we are loved by God and we are called to be saints just like you were. Miriam, you did battle with demonic spirits and you conquered them by the power of of God, not by your own power, not by your own intelligence, but by the power of God and the prayers of the saints. Help us too to resist the temptations of the enemy, to avoid sin, and to rely on Jesus our Savior to deliver us from the attacks of the devil. St. Miriam Thracia Chiramel Menkidian, 
pray for us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.